Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 14 through 25. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Go far from the Lord, to us this land is given for a possession. Therefore, therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I remove them far off among the nations, and though I scatter them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been, have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after the, their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside, with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. Now, as we move into studying this section of Scripture tonight, we need, it'll be helpful for us to remember verse 13 and the question that Ezekiel had just asked at the end of last week's study. Look at verse 13. After, remember, he's prophesying and Pelatiah dies. And he cried out and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? His question is, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Now, the reason why I want to take some time to deal with Ezekiel's question from chapter 13 is, first off, that's what Jesus deals with in the section that we're going to be looking at. He's answering Ezekiel's question about, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? But it'd also be valuable for us because many people today don't know the correct answer to this question. Many Christians today don't understand the actual correct answer to this question. If you were to ask many Christians today across the globe in many denominations, um, is God done with Israel? They would give you the wrong answer. And so we're going to take a look at that question tonight. Will you make a full end to the of the remnant of Israel? But in God's answering Ezekiel's question, he, he deals with a couple of things first. Uh, God reminds Ezekiel that he had been looking after all the exiles who had already been taken into captivity, even though those left in Jerusalem thought God had forgotten the exiles and given the land to them. And let me say that to you again. God reminded Ezekiel that he had actually been looking after the exiles, the ones who had been taken into captivity. He'd been looking after them, even though the people in the land of Jerusalem still had the mindset that those people in exile, those were taken into exile because they were bad. God's given us the land. Look back at verses 14 and, uh, through 16 and you'll see the wording. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those of whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord to us. This land is given for a possession. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them far off among the nations and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while. 
for a while in the countries where they have gone. In other words, the people in Jerusalem, remember, they were proud, and they were thinking that God wasn't going to let the Babylonians win and all this. And they just pretty much said, you guys that have gone in exile, you go far from the Lord. He's given us the land. The reason why you're gone and you were taken, because remember, he, the Nebuchadnezzar came in waves in 605 and took some, and then another a little bit later in 597 took another wave. And, and, and their attitude was, well, the only reason God took those certain individuals is because they were the bad ones, and he got them out of here. We're good now. And God reminds Ezekiel as he cries out and says, God, are you going to make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Are you going to wipe us all out? God says, first off, don't forget that I have been taking care of all the exiles while they've been in the countries I scattered them to. I have been a sanctuary to them. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to read to you some stories from the scriptures, some that are very, very familiar to you, but I want you to listen to them again afresh and anew. I want you to listen to these stories with the understanding of the fact that these people were taken into exile, and even though they had been taken into exile, God blessed them in the land that God had taken them into. All right, let me show you. Go with me to Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to jump to verses 17 through 21. Daniel 1, verses 1 through 7. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that the he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribes of, tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Jump down to verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in, in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So if you remember, Daniel, when he was young, and his friends, we know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their Hebrew names. They were taken into captivity. Yet, even though they were taken into captivity in a land that they weren't familiar with, did God shelter them? Big time. And he promoted them and he took care of them as they walked in obedience to him, even though they weren't in their country anymore. God wasn't done with them and he blessed them. Go to chapter three. Look at verses eight through 30, chapter, Daniel chapter three, starting in verse eight. <clears throat> Therefore, at that certain time, Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, 
lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then the, the, these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, nor their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship in any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Listen. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Not only was God not going to make a full end of Israel, and I'm giving you the answer ahead of time, he even was taking care of the ones who were in exile. He said, I was a shelter. I'm a shelter to those who are in the countries I scattered them. Go over to Daniel chapter 6. This now is not under Nebuchadnezzar. But this is actually going to be under Darius. Remember, the Babylonians were then taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And now Daniel's no longer under Nebuchadnezzar. He's under Darius, the king of the Medes. In Daniel chapter 8, sorry, Daniel chapter 6, I'm sorry, Daniel 6, verses 1 and following. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps and to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, as whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. 
and the king planned to have set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then, the king, sorry, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, who when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that is a law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works in signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Again, <clears throat> we remember these stories from our childhood but I want you to see them again in the context of the fact that the people in Jerusalem were saying, those exiles were taken into exile. They can go far from the Lord because God doesn't care about them. The land of Israel, Jerusalem, has been given to us, those of us who are still left in Jerusalem. And God tells Ezekiel, 
as I begin to answer your question about whether or not I'm going to make a full end of the remnant of, of Israel, let me remind you, first of all, I haven't given up on those exiles. I've been a shelter to them in the places where they've gone. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why? Why God takes people like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and he allows them to be taken captive to another land and to spend most of their life in another land? See, nowadays when we hear about people in Israel who are taken captive by the Palestinians and the war that's going on back and forth, we, we pray hard, Lord, bring them back, Lord, bring them back. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as you see in the scriptures, sometimes God doesn't intend for them to come back. There have been Americans who have been taken captive in other countries, have there not? And we always pray for their return, and there's nothing wrong with praying for their return. But sometimes maybe that's not God's intention. Have you ever wondered why God would have people like this, Daniel and so on, be taken captive? Ezekiel? Very good. There's two reasons why, and the scriptures tell us why. Ezekiel chapter 12. Go back to Ezekiel. Go to chapter 12 and look at verse 16. <clears throat> First off, it's so that the exiled people will know that he's God. Sometimes he takes them out of their land to get their attention just to speak to the exiles. In Ezekiel chapter 12, look at verse 16. He says, but I'll let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go and may know that I am the Lord. Did you see that? Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 16. All right, I'm going to read it to you again. But I'll let a few of them escape. These are the people that have been being judged in, in Nebuchadnezzar's attack. I'll let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go and may know that I am the Lord. One of the reasons why he takes some of these people into captivity is so that the people he's taken into captivity would come to a realization that he's God. But there's another reason, and hopefully you've already seen it in the stories we've just read, so that the nations that he sends them to will know that he's God. Yeah, it's their mission field. Go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Many of us know this story as well, but I don't know how many have really ever really let it sink in how this whole story started. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord thus and so, and, spoke the girl from, and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. 
So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, and according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Look at the very end of the beginning of verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. How did Naaman come to know that there's no other God in all the earth except the God of Israel? A servant girl, a young girl had been taken captive in a raid from Syria into, into Israel. And she was taken from her family and when her master had leprosy, she didn't sit in her room and think, good for him. How dare he do what he did? I hope he dies. She, well, remember that little song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? She allowed her faith to be shown. Actually, what she did was she doesn't realize it because it's prior to Jeremiah writing it. Go back to Jeremiah 29, something we looked at last week. Let me remind you of something that you might have missed in the letter of Jeremiah to the exiles in, in, in uh, Babylon. <clears throat> and we're, gonna, we're not going to um, cover all the very first part of chapter 29. We're going to jump into verse 5 where he says, Go ahead, build houses and live in them. Right, we'll go to verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your diviners and go on say that, 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 that you guys aren't loved by me. In other words, but is he what he said? I've sent you into exile, and while you're there, I want you to pray for the welfare of the people that have taken you captive. It will go well for you if you're actually for that nation. Now, that's hard for a lot of us, to be really honest. If we're going to be honest, our flesh reaction is, is if we were to be taken captive and taken into another land, we'd be plotting their demise from within, wouldn't we? But God said, that's not why I've got you there. That's not why I've got you there. Oh, let me also say something to you. <clears throat> Are we not also in a nation right now that is turning their back on God? And all we do, unfortunately, as Christians, most of the time, is just bellyache can complain about how bad this nation is getting. We Christians are known for just saying how evil the United States is and how bad it is. Well, we're exiles too, aren't we? We're from another land. We're from another kingdom. We, the United States is not your home. You have been brought into a different family. We are in exile here in the United States. And we should be, as Christians, praying for the welfare of the United States. Because God says, 
even though they may not know me, I'm going to use you so they may, or at least some. And so, folks, I want you to understand this. As Ezekiel in chapter 11 cries out in verse 13 when he sees Pelatiah die and he hears all this judgment being prophesied through him. Are you going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel? Are you going to wipe them all out? God says, hey, hey, hang on for a second. First, let me remind you, the exiles, even though the people in Jerusalem think that I've forgotten them and the land's been given to them, that's not the case. I've been a shelter to those exiles, the ones who were seeking the welfare of the nation that I sent them to. But now, after reminding and reassuring Ezekiel that he had been a sanctuary to them while they were in exile, God then goes on and answers Ezekiel's question. He answers the question of, are you going to make a full end of, of, of the remnant of Israel? He answers this question with two parts. But I'm going to answer the, uh, deal with the second part of the answer first. Go to Ezekiel chapter 11, look at verse 21. <clears throat> There's two parts to his answer of that question of, are you going to make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Verse 21 Ezekiel 11, verse 21, he says, But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. In other words, he's dealing, we're going to deal with the second part of his answer here, with the people that don't respond appropriately to why I'm bringing this judgment, they're going to get everything they deserve. Go to Revelation chapter 20. Look at verses 11 through 15. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, plural, were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. God's keeping track of every little thing. Thank God that we're not having that held against us because of Jesus' blood. And the sea and the dead gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment, where it's going to be a judgment of all the wicked, all those who have not been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, at the final judgment of all the people at the end of the ages, right before the new heaven and the new earth, we see here that they're going to be held accountable for everything they've done. As for the people that don't respond appropriately, they're going to get what they deserve. But now let's go back and look at the first part of his answer to Ezekiel's question. By the way, what's Ezekiel's question again from verse 13? Are you going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel? It's a very specific question. Are you going to make a full end to the remnant of Israel? Well, as we answer this, I've got to remind you of two things. First of all, remember from chapter 9, verses, you don't have to turn there, from Ezekiel 9, verses 1 through 6, the man clothed in linen had already gone and marked the heads of the foreheads of those who were grieved over the sin that was in Jerusalem, and they were to be spared when the judgment came. So, that's kind of part of the first answer, or the first part of his answer is, if I was going to wipe everybody out, I wouldn't even have sealed those people and protected them from what was coming. But those who were marked with the seal were marked in another way as well. This marking ties into Malachi chapter 3. Go to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. <clears throat> like I said, they were marked with a seal and protected from the judgment at that time, but that, that marking that they received was a little bit more than you can see just in Ezekiel's passage there. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Look at verses 16 through 18. 
Because we see a glimpse then that the people that were marked were marked more than just protection from the thing that was coming at that time. In Malachi chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 18. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Listen to what God says. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God says, those who feared the Lord were talking to each other, and God wrote down their names. They're going to be mine when I make up my treasured possession in that day. That's a prophecy word. In that day, they're going to be my treasured possession. And that's when you're going to see the distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. God promises Ezekiel here in Ezekiel chapter 11 that he is not done with the remnant of Israel, nor will he ever be. Look closely at verses 17 through 20 and see how God answers it. Because there's something in here that I have never seen before until I really started to break this down. It's kind of cool. Look at Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 17 through 20. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. That's important. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So he then says, look, there's going to be a time when I'm going to bring you guys back out of the land. I'm sorry, out of the captivity into the land of Israel. And it's going to be a special time when I do that, because at that time, all the detestable things will be removed. And they're going to put my spirit within them and give them a new heart. By the way, that hadn't happened yet. But if we look closely, God promises to give Ezekiel and the remnant of Israel, the land of Israel, after bringing them back from the countries he scattered them to. Because it's not just to Ezekiel. Look at the word you over and over and over here. Look at verse 17. He says, I gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. By the way, that you is plural. And I will give you the land of Israel. But then from that point on, it's also obvious to us that he's not talking about when that group that's there in captivity in Babylon is allowed to go back into the land. But it's a future day because the prophecy from that point on says what? They. Clearly jumps to they. And when they come there... They will remove from it all its detestable things, and I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. As he's talking to Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to give this to you and the people that are in exile, but it's not just to you. This time when I bring back and restore the remnant, when I make up my treasured possession in the land of Israel, it's going to be a time after you, Ezekiel. Because it's going to be they who do this, not you. And so what I want to do tonight, in the time we have left, is I want to read to you 
and you might want to get a pen and paper, just a few of the passages in the Old Testament where God has been saying this all along. Because like I said at the beginning, if you ask most Christians, is God done with Israel? They would say yes. When the Bible is so clear that the answer is no, he's not done. Will he make a full end of the remnant of Israel? No, he will not. And listen to what the scripture has been saying. All right, here we go. We're about to go on a scripture. You think you've had a scriptural run so far? Not yet. Go to Jeremiah 23. Write these down because we're going to move right along. Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 8. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Let me ask you, Bible students, has this happened yet? But is there, isn't Israel back in the land? But that's not a fulfillment of this, is it? No, this prophecy, these prophecies, as awesome as it is that in 1948, the nation of Israel became a nation again. Don't think for a second that in 1948, the fulfillment of these prophecies all began to happen. It didn't. Here's why. The reason why it's awesome that the 1948 nation of Israel became a nation again is because the prophecies about God having the Antichrist step into the temple and chase the Jews out of Israel and out of Jerusalem can't happen until the Jews were back in Israel. But this regathering of the Jews that the prophecies are talking about in the last days is going to come at the end of the tribulation period when they have been scattered again into the wilderness and most of them killed. He's going to bring them all back at that time. And you'll see the prophecies are not referring to 1948. All right. <clears throat> Listen. B verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Then I will raise up. For David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness. Where? In the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming. Therefore, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought us up the, up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country, and about all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. This hasn't happened yet, folks. Like I said, I'm so excited that in 1948 they became a nation again, because that meant that all the prophecies that were, were speaking of what was going to happen prior to the final gathering of Israel into the land for the final time can now happen. Because the Bible says in Zechariah that God was going to make Jerusalem a trembling a cup amongst all the nations. And everybody's going to be all in consternation about Israel in the land. Well, they weren't in the land for almost 2,000 years. And so prophecy people and Bible students started to come up with all these other things that, well, Israel must mean the church. And I can even show you where those of us who are in the church have been grafted in to God's promises for Israel. But we have not replaced them. And so the prophecies, please hear this of God regathering them into the land aren't referring to 1948. What 1948 did was set the stage for all the prophecies 
that had to take place before the final scattering because of the Antichrist. And then there's going to be the final gathering that these prophecies talk about. And you can tell there's something different about that than 1948, correct? Well, if not, I have to read you some more passages. Go to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4. I had a hard time stopping because there are so many. Isaiah chapter 4, look at verses 2 through 6. <clears throat> In that day, there you see it again, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be, be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? Remember how we saw in Malachi? He wrote their names down. These are going to be my treasured possession. Everyone who was recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site on, the Mount, on Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy, there will be a booth for shade by day and from the heat and for refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Here it even says that not only are they going to be back in the land, the glory of the Lord's going to be there in such a way that just like he was in the Old Testament with the cloud by day and the fire by night, the glory of God's going to be over Jerusalem like that. By the way, has that happened yet? That's because these prophecies are all talking to a day still yet future. They're not pointing to 1948. It's the millennial kingdom. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 13. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Oh, keep reading. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. By the way, anybody know who this is yet? Jesus, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the coastline, coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall be not jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. 
By the way, is God going to make a full end of Israel? Well, just in case you weren't sure, go to Jer Jeremiah chapter 31. But wait, there's more. Jeremiah 31, look at verses 1 through 11. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, who found grace where? In the wilderness. Well, when did they go to the wilderness? When, at the second half of the tribulation period. Remember in our study of Revelation, the Antichrist goes after him. Some, and that's why Jesus said, when you see the, the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, you better run. Don't go back for your coat. Get out, because it's going to be bad as it's ever been on the earth. And they're going to run out into the wilderness. We know from the study of the scriptures in our study of Revelation, it's going to be in the area of Basra. And he's going to protect them for 1,260 days. But here he says, thus says the Lord, verse 2, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and you shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and they shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who has scattered Israel will gather him, and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31, look at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming. I'm going to read to you verses 31 through 40. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. By the way, has that happened yet? No. Thus, keep reading, verse 35, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. But behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city, Jerusalem, shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go farther, straight to the hill Garib, and shall turn, then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. 
it shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Hadn't happened yet, but it's coming. Go to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We see those familiar words again, don't we? In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. But I thought to myself, there's going to be someone out there says, but he didn't really specifically answer the question, will I make a full end of the remnant of Israel? So for those of you that are there, go to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, But even in those days, declares the Lord, I will not make a full end of you. Is that good enough for you now? And when your people say, Why has the Lord our, God done all, Lord our God done all these things to us? You shall say to them, As you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so you shall serve foreigners in a land that is not yours. In the midst of him saying, Here's the judgment coming because of your sin, Israel. Even though it's going to be horrific, I'm not going to make a full end of you. So when Ezekiel cries out and says, Oh, Lord God, are you going to make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Jeremiah had already answered that question, or God through Jeremiah. But now there might be some of you out there that are saying, Jim, all you've done is read to us Old Testament passages. Does the New Testament say this? Go with me to Romans chapter 11. After seeing all of this, Romans 11 is just going to explode. All the way through in chapter 9 and chapter 10 and then into chapter 11, Paul has been sharing his concern for the people of Israel. He says in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, if I could be accursed and go to hell and that would cause Israel to be saved, I'd do it. Then he says in chapter 10, verse 1, my heart's desire is that Israel be saved. And then chapter 11, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they, the Jews, 
stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but that life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Did you catch that? Don't think you're better than them and you've replaced them. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you'll say, well, branches were broken off, so I might be grafted in. That's true. But they were broken off because of their unbelief. You stand fast through faith, so don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But, David's God, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And you might recognize that. That's one of the passages we read. As regards the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been now disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the glory and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord, or who's been his counselor, or who's given to him a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Pretty clear, isn't it, folks? Is God done with Israel? Nope. He's doing something right now with the church in the Gentile age, but it's going to come to an end. And then when he finishes with the Gentiles, he's going to then save Israel. Well, they're going to go through a purifying process during those tribulation period. But at the end, the Israel that is left at the end, those who survive to the very end, that's why in Matthew 24, Jesus wasn't talking to us. He was talking to the Jews. And he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He was talking to the Jews. Go, go with me real quickly. we got time. You guys listened really fast tonight, so we got six minutes. I've got scriptures that aren't even on my notes, but I'm going to use them now because we have time. I usually don't have time. Go to Acts 15. I do talk fast, but I get excited. I can't help it. Acts chapter 15. You remember when the church first started out, 
they were still very Jewish focused. Remember, the, the, the early believers were Jews and, and, and a few Gentiles, but for the most part, it was Jews, the 12 apostles and so on. And the fact that God was wanting to save Gentiles was starting to give them a problem because now do we make them circumcised? Do we make them follow the law of Moses? And in Acts chapter 15, the leaders in Jerusalem and the elders and the apostles get together to deal with this issue. And verse 12, the assembly, at chapter 15 of, of Acts, verse 12, the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After this, they finished speaking. James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. In other words, James gets up and says, you know what, folks? The Old Testament does talk about the day when he's going to regather Israel. But he also said that he was going to include Gentiles in that process. So I guess it's okay if these Gentiles are being saved. But again, he even brought out that in the end, God's going to rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'm not going to make a promise I can't keep, but I think I'm going to show you one more passage. Go to Acts chapter 1. Verse 1, Luke wrote the book of Acts. He also wrote the book of Luke, and that's what he's referring to when he starts off here. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. During the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension back to the Father, he appeared only to disciples and to believers, and he taught them for 40 days about what? The kingdom of God. All right? Now, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Did you catch it? If he's been teaching for 40 days about the kingdom of God, their question is, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? In other words, if the teaching was what a lot of churches are teaching today, is that the kingdom of God is now through the church, and God's done with Israel, and now the kingdom of God is just what he's doing in the life of the church, and at the end of the church age, we just all go be with God. There is no millennial kingdom. There is no bringing Jews back into the land. There are actually there are a lot of Christian denominations today, folks, that are pro-Palestine, and they're anti-Israel. And the sad thing is, the scriptures are so clear. And if Jesus had been teaching, the kingdom is now you, forget Israel, the disciples would have never asked, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? But he tells them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. You're going to be my, receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth. And as we saw in Romans, he's doing something now through the church to make Israel jealous, but it's going to come to an end. He's going to take us back to be with him in the rapture of the church. That sometime after that, tribulation period will begin at the midpoint of it. You're going to see the Antichrist step into the wing of a temple that's going to be rebuilt. When? How? Don't get caught up into all that stuff. The Bible says it's not for us to know that stuff. We get so excited when we start to see things happen that seem to line up with 
prophecy that we tried to have made 1948 the fulfillment of him gathering them back into the land. And as you read from tonight, those prophecies weren't talking about 1948, were they? Because they don't all worship God. They don't need, not need teachers anymore. They're not secure. Exactly. The 12 tribes are going to, it hasn't happened yet. So, yes, I'm excited that they're back in the land because there's a lot of prophecies that had to happen with them being in the land. So those can happen. But the prophecies about the regathering and the final thing in the millennial kingdom are still yet to happen. So it's getting really close. Let me ask you Ezekiel's question one last time. Will God make a full end of the remnant of Israel? All right, then I won't have to start all over. Thanks for coming. We'll see you there.